Good morning. It's nice to be together. We moved here two and a half years ago and landed into this apartment, and we were so blessed by the way many people in this room received us. Then, yesterday, we moved out of the apartment. Uh, and it was, it's always slightly strange when something that you expect to last six months lasts two years and six months. But we were blessed when we came in and we're praying that we will be blessed as we go out and we're praying a blessing on whoever moves into that space next but I did want to mark the occasion and again say thank you for the way you received us then we continue to feel that love so thank you change is exciting and exhausting and some people lean more into one of those directions than the others I quite like change but I've got to a point recently where there's been so much coming so quickly. It's a little bit like when I was younger, I used to really like roller coasters. And now they, they do things to me that they didn't used to do so much. And I need a few more minutes after I've got off a ride just to sit down, just for my head to stop moving. Uh, it's kind of felt like that. But at the same time, we haven't doubted the hand of God with us along the way. And many of us probably would tell stories where there's been moments where things didn't work out as we expected or in the timing that we expected but now we look back and we see the hand of God and, um, we rest in that we choose that that's that's always the way we want to we want to be and we want to live we have seen a lot of change in the last 20 years the church has experienced a lot of change the nation the world has experienced a lot of change here are some of the things that has happened. Just some, and I say them in the context of where we are here. Society has changed, the nation has changed, the way we think has changed, and church has changed. Here's some things that you may be aware of that have changed in the last 20 years. 20 years being 2001, which feels like it was a few years ago. It was 20 years ago. 20 years ago smartphones did not exist. 20 years ago, the Twin Towers stood tall. 20 years ago, social media had not been invented. Some of us will wish maybe that it hadn't. 20 years ago, I had to look this one up because it means more to you than me. A little-known football player from the University of Michigan named Tom Brady was selected as the lowly 199th pick in the NFL draft. 20 years ago, you used to memorize phone numbers and call people's houses. You remember that? 20 years ago, the cloud has become a storage solution rather than, I hope the rain passes before the baptism. Wi-Fi has become a life necessity. You book into the hotel and the first thing you look for is, what's the Wi-Fi code? Tablets were something you used to swallow when you were sick. Now it's a kind of computer that doesn't have a keyboard. The idea, which 20 years ago was a crazy idea, it's just a a movie that's not worth watching, that a worldwide pandemic might happen, has actually happened. And we lived through it. We take photos of our food and show it to people. Could you imagine 20 years ago when you had a film camera? If you took a picture of your food, took the film to get developed at wherever you had your pictures developed... And then after you have them developed, oh, you take the pictures with you. So when you see your friends, you go, hey, let me show you what I had for dinner two Saturdays ago. 
If we'd said that 20 years ago, you would say, what a silly suggestion. We do it all the time. Some cultural changes that we, especially in some parts of this country and other countries especially, are now living beyond a postmodern era and we're now into this post-truth era, whatever that means. Uh, An explanation, post-truth is a philosophical and political concept for the disappearance of a shared objective standard of truth. And the shift between facts or alternative facts, knowledge, opinion, and belief. In other words, believe whatever you want. There's no such thing as right or wrong. Factual accuracy is not important. Opinion and feelings matter most. Some of us would say, yes, I see that. Some of us would say, I don't like that, but I see it. Changes in the church. Church has not been exempt of the changes in society from inventions to cultural trends to worldview beliefs. Changes in the church. This is in the U.S. Church membership in the last 20 years has declined from 70% to 47%. Pew Research Center reports Mississippi, Alabama as the two leading states and other southern states behind are the most religious states in the nation with the highest church attendance, while New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Vermont, and Maine are amongst the least. Post-COVID, there's a sentence that you're going to hear again and again and again. Post-COVID, church-wide attendance and giving is down. Are people returning to church The evidence so far is the smaller churches, the really tiny ones, are seeing the greatest percentage of return. But some of the bigger churches have had massive gaps. And the norm of the last year has changed the way we are now. Why am I putting all this in front of you? Some of you might be saying, oh, that's too much change. There's too much going on. I get that. Because... We can even look at the world around us and feel concerned, confused, upset, and we want to fight this belief, this worldview, or this idea, or this trend, and you, you just can't. Or we can say, where does my hope come from? And for me, I want my answer to be, my hope comes from the Lord. I didn't expect to live in that apartment for as long, but my hope comes from the Lord and we've been blessed. And I didn't expect the world to change this much. And some of this is funny. Some of this I do. I'm on social media. I do these things. I've taken pictures of food before. 20 years ago, I wouldn't have done that. But some of these other things are like, what's going on? And how are we meant to live I wholeheartedly believe that the answer to how we're meant to live is found in Jesus. And when I say in Jesus, I do want to look at what Jesus did and does and want to continue to do because I lean in the direction where I'm excited by the activity and the idea that Jesus could bring some of the changes because some of these things I don't like and I want a Jesus change. But I have to say... Knowing Jesus is the first change. 
that we need and being with Jesus. And when I say knowing Jesus, I'm not just talking about the moment when we meet Jesus for the first time, although that's important. And if you've not had that moment, you can, you could, and you should. What I mean is this. In our Western culture, we tend to desire action, activity, and products and services. And that's kind of the normal world that we live in. And in Jesus' day, there were people who were like, could you show us a sign? Could you do this? Could you heal this person? I love the things that Jesus does. But a phrase that I heard years ago, and it was a sentence that used to be more common perhaps in previous decades, was the idea of marrying someone for their money. I don't want to marry Jesus for his money. I don't want to pursue Jesus just for what he does. I want to know Jesus. And that takes time and sitting in his company and prayer and worship. Yes, I want to be changed and do the things that he was doing because that excites me because I like the stuff too. But ultimately, the most important thing is to love the Lord your God, which means to know the Lord your God with all of your soul, spirit, and mind. And then let's do the stuff too. But may I encourage you that before we look at that, what does the activity look like? It begins with relationship. So if you're feeling concerned that the world's changing, things are moving, some things you wish they could go back, the answer isn't to argue, fight, or rage. How do you get them back? The answer is found in Jesus, who he is, walking with him. And if we could see the things that he wants to do in the world... My goodness, that's the kingdom that I want to be part of. So, what does this look like? We are going to dive in to Mark 1, Mark 2, Mark 2, verse 1 to 22. Last week, I introduced the idea that Jesus was and is a revolutionary. Not revolutionary in the context of, of politics, although that's part of it, but revolutionary in that he was introducing a different kingdom order, a different way of living and loving and leading. And he was introducing that into an order that already existed that insisted that its way was the only way, a little bit like today. There's an order of the way you should live, and if you don't live like that, you're not correct. Jesus never tried to be correct. He introduced a different, better order. That was revolutionary. He clashed with the Roman authorities and he clashed with the religious leaders because they had a way of doing things and seeing things and Jesus was blowing it wide open. That's revolutionary. That's what I want to look at today. Sometimes you say something and and people go, oh yeah, I get it. That makes sense. Sometimes maybe not so much and it takes longer, which is why I want to unpack that. Last week I was in a store ordering something And I guess it was one of those moments where you say things and the people don't fully understand you. And the person said, I love your accent. Are you rehearsing for a play? Uh, And and I didn't have time to come up with a funny answer. So I just said, no. I've come from somewhere else. I went, oh, okay, very cool. Uh, The week before... I hope Tommy's okay with this. The week before, I made Tommy tea, and he said to me, do you have any honey? And I just looked at him and said, why would I have honey? Uh, because we, we hear and do things differently. So I am aware that saying the word 
Jesus is a revolutionary or that we need a Jesus revolution for some. It's like, what does that mean? That's a great question. And with that question in mind, let's look at this passage. We're going to look at two passages. Mark 2, verse 1 to 22. Maybe when I visit England, which is later today, by the way, I'll introduce the idea of putting honey in tea. Maybe it will catch on. I'm, I'm, I'm not putting a lot of confidence in that, but maybe. Mark 2, verse 1 to 22. I'm going to read it through once, and then I'm going to pick out some of the elements that I want to emphasize to you and to show you. And I say show you because I don't want to teach you to think like me. I want to show you the person of Jesus. And I want that to change you. Mark 2. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him, to Jesus, because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and lowered the man that was on the mat who was lying on it. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take up your mat and go home. He got up took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. Once again, Jesus went outside beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, the son of Altheus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and Sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples that the Pharisees have are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have been with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews an unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. There's a lot going on. 
some elements of this passage I want to highlight to you. It begins, Jesus is in, his, in a home setting. It's an ordinary setting. It is normal. It is the everyday places where you may find yourself this week. This revolutionary Jesus that is changing the world around him begins in the ordinary everyday places where you will find yourself this week. He gathers a crowd, anyone and everyone, and they hear the teaching and the message of Jesus. Jesus isn't embarrassed of the gospel, isn't embarrassed of the teaching of the kingdom. He willingly invites whoever will listen and freely offers it to them all. This is an example and a blueprint for others that seek to follow in the ways of Jesus. Normal places freely bringing a different message, a different kingdom, a different order. And it's described as good news. If you are concerned by the world because of the frequency of bad news, may I encourage you, the best gift we can bring it is a declaration of good news. And it's not good news because we have an alternative spin on the news story, but because we have a Savior whose name is Jesus. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man. In this cultural context, if somebody was ill, often they would seek for a reason to blame. He must have been a terrible sinner. Maybe his parents were terrible sinners. This man is paralyzed. This is not a new condition. This is a significant condition that everybody knew. Therefore, the expectation in the crowd may have been he must have done something terribly wrong. He must have been a terrible sinner. This prejudgment. The first thing that Jesus says to him is son. He calls him a son. The God that always wants to be the father of us all. Son, daughter. The first thing he says is son. The second thing he says, again in the context of accusation, is he a terrible sinner? Look, he's paralyzed. His son, your sins are forgiven. Whoa. They weren't expecting that. Instantly it causes upset. The religious leaders are annoyed because the way they've organized things, Jesus is bringing a different mix to that and that causes offense and annoyance and this is what revolution does. It puts too much spice in the pot for the rest of the pot to be okay. And that's exactly what Jesus gets from them, the religious leaders. Who does he think he is? And then he says, take up your mat and go. I love that. I love what Jesus did, but even more, I love who Jesus is. Jesus is a revolutionary. The next chapter, once again, another crowd gathers. He's walking along. This time he sees Levi, the son of Althea, sitting at his tax collector's booth. And he says, follow me. Tax collectors were the lowest of the low. Nobody invited them to anything. Jesus invites him into the kingdom of God. As is often the case, he brings his friends. There's a feast. They're all there. Again, the religious leaders take offense. I can't believe you're doing this. This is exactly why I was sent. It's not the healthy that need a doctor, but it's the sick. 
This is the message of good news for anyone and everyone, and it causes offense frequently to the religious order. Moving on, the last chapter. And this last chapter is both mysterious and beautiful, but it gives a clue as to why Jesus is doing what he's doing. And he frames it like this. There is a different way of seeing the world. There is a different way of seeing rule and reign and kingdom. There is a different way of seeing the religious rules that so many of them were invented by men to make themselves look holy and other people look less. And Jesus is saying there's a different, better way. And I'm inviting you to be part of it. He talks about if you're mending an old piece of cloth with a new piece of cloth. And then he talks about wineskins. This is a wineskin. It's kind of cloth on the outside. Wine was a frequent part of their culture, their ceremonies, and their feast. And with a wineskin, when you poured wine inside it, it expanded because of the leather and the suede, which worked because the fermenting process caused it to expand and the fabric had some space to do so. After you had consumed the wine, the wineskin stayed rigid and quite hard, if you were to put more new wine in and that began to ferment, it would continue to expand and it would crack and both the wine would be poured out and the container would be broken. Jesus is using this analogy, which in their context made lots of sense because this was a frequent prop in many of their homes and all of their feasts and ceremonies. And Jesus is saying, the revolutionary message of a different, better kingdom cannot be contained in the political order of Rome, nor can it be contained in these religious rules that have become so fixed by men. But I want to do something better. And the beauty of this message, this kingdom, is the frequent invite that I want you to be part of it too. We aren't called to be observers of this message, story, and kingdom. We're called to be participators and play a role in it. I said last week, Jesus was a revolutionary and is a revolutionary, and he asks us to do the things that he was doing. That makes us revolutionary. There is a challenge. I look at this in part. Matthew 13 the idea of seeing things differently can cause some challenges. Matthew 13, 53 to 58, says this. When Jesus finished teaching parables, he moved on from there and he came to his hometown. He began teaching the people in their synagogue and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where did this man get all these things? And they took offense. He said to them, A prophet is not without honor in his own town and his own home. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. In the Mark passage we see a frequency where Jesus clashes with the religious order. There are more examples of Jesus clashing with the religious crowd than any other demographic 
in all four of the Gospels. And here in this Matthew passage, we see this insight that the power of Jesus is restrained by the religious restraint, which is a remarkable idea. How could anything restrain Jesus? How can anyone or idea restrain Jesus? We see the religious spirit that says you can't do this and you can't think like this and you have to worship like this and you can't forgive sins and you're doing this on the wrong day of the week brings restraint to Jesus. I remember at Easter time and I I saw this, even though we've read the Easter passages so many times, I learned that while it was the Romans who put the nails in the cross, it was the religious spirit that put Jesus on the cross. It's the religious restraint that kills the work of God. I want us as a church to be revolutionary and not particularly religious. I'm grateful for our Christian heritage. I'm grateful for those things. And I'm not saying we invent the Bible. I'm saying we return to the historical truth of the way Jesus lived. And I choose this over the evangelical movement of the last 2,000 years. I choose this the way Jesus lived, the way Jesus taught, the way Jesus loved. That's what I want. And sometimes that takes a challenge. Let me show you a photo and I'll tell you a story which might illustrate what that might look like. I don't know if we've got this picture of the fishing reels. That's some fishing reels and in the tin is a spool of new line. There's a thousand yards of line and I've got to re-spool all my reels even though if you can look at the reels and it's quite a dark picture, you can see, wait a minute, there's lots of line already on the reels. Why do you need to respool them? Here's the story. About five weeks ago, I took the girls fishing with another family and it was the two dads and the kids and we fished this lake where there were quite a lot of boats uh, and it was a shallow lake. I've got a set of fishing rods. There's four kids and I've got a long set of fishing rods here and they cast that into the middle of the lake and it's probably only a four feet deep. It's not that deep. Uh, I didn't see something until it was too late. And somebody with a really nice speedboat came along not too far in front of the shore and the outboard engine picked up all of the lines and suddenly all of the rods, if you've ever seen one of those kind of Jaws movies where the rod's there and then suddenly the reel starts spinning because there's something big on the end, all of the rods caught a speedboat at the same time. Now, quickly I grabbed the rods because they're they're quite nice rods. But I can't stop this line that's going. And in the end, they, they came loose. And then one at a time, I very slowly, and the person I was with, my friend Craig, watched me. Why are you doing that? Every rod I reeled in, and I held the line in my hand to feel where it was frayed. And every time it was frayed, I would cut the line. He said, why are you wasting so much line? You can still use it. I said, well, it was 16-pound breaking strain. But with these knocks and dinks and how it's damaged, this is only going to just let me down. It may look like it will work, but it won't. And there's going to come a time I'm going to catch a really big fish, and I'll be playing the big fish, and the line will snap, and I will be annoyed that I didn't do this. And eventually I thought, forget this. I'm stripping it all back. This is where I'm going with this story. Some of us, and I'm one of these people, have been in this church movement for a really long time. And we may well have picked up some 
ideas and some approaches and strategies that we believe are the only way to do things. And maybe we need to be open to the idea that maybe Jesus needs to re-strip some of the stuff that, that we liked or collected or held on to. Things like a few months ago I spoke about communion, the gift of communion. I know some people that believe that that's something that can be only administered by someone that does a job like mine. Well, if you look at the Last Supper, Jesus hadn't experienced the ordination process that I have, but Jesus is offering communion. And at the Last Supper, there is no test that the disciples must pass before they receive the gift. Jesus says, this is for you. I want you to receive it. Today, we're going to celebrate baptism. Baptism isn't something that certain people hit a level of holiness and then they are allowed to enter in. Baptism is for anyone who says, I want to believe and I want to follow. And in the scriptures, we see the question in the early church of them saying, Here's water. What's to stop us being baptized? The answer is nothing. So if we, the organized church, have created rules that bring a reason, then maybe we need to strip off the old line and return to what we see in the original text. Last week, I ended this first part, Jesus is a revolutionary and we are meant to be too, by asking a question. And I asked those who are gathered here to to sit in groups of four or five, something like that. And the question that I asked was, where do we fit into this? The question was, what does a church that seeks values and centers itself as in lives around a Jesus revolution look like? And we got about 50 answers. This is some of the answers. What does a church that seeks values and centers itself around Jesus revolution look like. And you said this, and I'm not going to read all the answers, by the way, so if I don't read yours, that's okay. It says this, we are powerful and empowered. It's the little C church. We have the heart of Jesus to minister, and we live with those on the margins. It looks like prayer and outreach and providing basic necessities for those in need. It looks like finding ways to stand up against what society is saying is correct and normal and bringing and declaring a different kingdom message. We're present. We're flexible. Church doesn't follow a format, but we follow the way of Jesus. It looks like our church. No politics, just loves, just loves people, caring for each other. Shows love, builds bridges where there are none, and shows love in tangible ways. Always ministering to others, building bridges. Bring out the positive in the world when others complain. One that gets involved with people and feels a need. A church of prayer and outreach. It doesn't look like the status quo. It looks like a church that is bold in sharing the good news. It finds ways of getting the kingdom message outside the walls of the church. Diversity and a high value on relationship. Unity looks like Pentecost, spirit-led church that cannot be contained by the facility, like ripples in a water, to show peace and love and to give opportunity and testimony of the good news. Some good answers. This is how I want to end. This, this vision 
And I use the word vision because vision means to see something. And sometimes you can see something and think, how have I not seen that before? Towards the end of last year, and it was such a strange year, I was praying, God, what is your heart for us? And I felt Jesus say, I want you to see me and know me for who I am. And this idea of Jesus the revolutionary kept coming to me. And I thought, I've never seen that. I've never even heard that sentence. And suddenly after that, I kept hearing it everywhere I went. That this is who Jesus is, and therefore this is who we are to be. I feel that there is a strong invitation for us to see Jesus for who he is and to live like him and to be like him. And I want to continue to explore that. In the autumn, we're going to be looking at training and groups and initiatives and other things that we want to be given more attention and investment to as we move beyond the, the COVID stuff and we can, we, can, we can do more. But we want to be centered around Jesus and we want to do this together. I want to ask you some questions and last week I asked you to sit in groups and answer them and come back. This time I want to do it differently. I want to ask you some questions to ask to others. In the teachings of Jesus, he found himself in ordinary places having unordinary conversations. No pressure. I'd like you to do the same. I'd like you to inquire what the church like this looked like in the context of your friends, your family, your neighbors. I've got four questions, and I want to encourage you to ask them and not argue for the right answer, but merely inquire of where they're at. Jesus asked well over 100 questions. What do you believe? How do you see it? How do you understand the scriptures? How do you read it? I want us to listen. I want us to be a church that's focused on Jesus, but attentive and listens to both God and to people. Now, listening to people doesn't mean to say that we would do everything to accommodate everyone else's tastes and opinions. Our opinion and our order and our rule and reign will be based on the kingdom of God, not necessarily the one that, that we like. But I do want us to inquire. So four questions, and I'm going to give you these questions as you exit today. And I want to encourage you over the summer and in September, early in September, we'll revisit. Hey, do you remember those questions? And we'll see how many of you do. The questions are this. What do you believe? That's a great question. I had someone say to me, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in church. I was like, okay, great. What do you believe? They're like, oh, okay. And then they began to tell me the things that they do believe. That actually, they do believe there could be a God, but they're not convinced what his name is. What do you believe? A simple question. What do you think about church? Sometimes you feel like you need to ask that question and then hide behind a door. Just ask it and listen. What do you believe about church? If you could design a church, what would it look like? So many people reject the idea of God because of their experience of church. Maybe this is one of those, we need to strip some of the old line off the reel and start again. Ask them. Because it may be that they've rejected something that we invented and we shouldn't have put there anyway. And the Jesus way is much, much better. So if you could design a church, what would it look like? And the last question. What does the church look like during the week? And the reason for that question, which may sound like a 
unique question. Is the church in the gathered setting is not church in the gathered setting is an opportunity where we come together and enjoy community and pray for each other and worship and it's powerful and biblical and important but it's not the only element of the church the church is the people of god and as we see in the teaching of jesus it's predominantly expressed in the ordinary and extraordinary aspects of our week so what does it look like to be the church in the week we want to unpack and explore these questions and listen uh, please be part of this this is not something that myself or the board or the staff are deciding and directing this is something we want to learn and listen together how do we bring the kingdom of god in the here and now so thank you for being part of this jesus revolution